Welcome to Bladder Buzz, the podcast where doctors, researchers, and consumers discuss bladder health and function for those with neurogenic bladder. On today's episode, we welcome Dr. Mandy Rounds and Dr. Argy Stampus to discuss Argy's article on the safety, feasibility, and efficacy of transcutaneous tibial nerve stimulation for people with spinal cord injury and neurogenic bladder. And now, Bladder Buzz. Hello, I'm Dr. Mandy Rounds, a researcher at MedStar National Rehabilitation Hospital and MedStar Health Research Institute in Washington, D.C. My work focuses on improving the quality of life of those that have had neurologic injuries and diseases such as spinal cord injury, multiple sclerosis, stroke, and spina bifida. Joining me today is Dr. Argy Stampus, an associate professor in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at McGovern Medical School at UT Health and the Director of Spinal Cord Injury Medicine Research at Tier Memorial Herman. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Mandy. I'm super excited to be here. I'm really excited to discuss this new article of yours. So it's called Safety, Feasibility, and Efficacy of Transcutaneous Tibial Nerve Stimulation in Acute Spinal Cord Injury Neurogenic Bladder. It's a randomized controlled pilot trial. So first, could you just describe what transcutaneous tibial nerve stimulation or TTNS is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's exactly what it sounds like. So we'll break it down by word. So transcutaneous, meaning across the skin, the tibial nerve is a nerve that we're targeting and stimulation is electric stimulation. So we're basically putting electrodes by the ankle which is where your tibial nerve is, and we're turning the current on, the electricity on, such that it stimulates the tibial nerve. Great. So using this modality as an intervention, could you give an overview of the objective of this paper and how this idea came about to use TTNS in this population? Yeah, we can talk about this for hours because it's something that I am very passionate about. In my clinic, working with my patients, bladder problems are the number one complaint. The problem is not only that the, that the pathology, the issues with the bladder develop, but that the solutions for them are pretty bad. So the current state of neurogenic bladder management in spinal cord injury is to basically, after someone gets injured, you kind of watch them and you wait until symptoms develop. And that basically means that we have no good way of tracking this development until somebody starts actually having incontinence or or when they start leaking. And then we start throwing medications at people and try to treat the problem after it develops. So the thought is maybe we can do something early and prevent the problem from developing. So I've always been a fan of electric stimulation and always looking in the literature to see in what ways we can use electric stimulation in spinal cord injury. And we know about a lot of the ways it can help with our muscles, but this was interesting because it the tibial nerve stimulation has been done and it's for the bladder. And I liked it because it had very few side effects. So 
So it kind of hit a lot of the check marks of what I would be looking for if I were to start something before people had symptoms. So that's why we developed this pilot trial. And as a pilot trial, the first thing we're looking at is safety and feasibility. And then we added really good outcome measures to look at some of its effectiveness. So we used Eurodynamics to look at effectiveness. So with TTNS, has it ever been used in the spinal cord injury population before? Yeah, it has in, in other small pilot trials. So going to that, like the history of tibial nerve stimulation, it's not really like voodoo. It actually has its origins from Eastern medicine and acupuncture, so hundreds of years ago. If you have a bladder issue and you go for acupuncture, they can target your foot and the place where they put the needle for acupuncture is actually innervated by the tibial nerve. And then fast forward hundreds of years and they started doing animal studies on the tibial nerve and they did show that it could help the bladder. And then they developed percutaneous tibial nerve stimulation which is like an acupuncture needle that's put really close to that tibial nerve and it supplies electricity to it. And that's FDA approved. And in 2011, they did this big multiple sclerosis trial for people with urinary urgency. And they did TTNS, the transcutaneous form. They showed that it improved urgency in more than 80% of the subjects, reduced frequency, and quality of life measures improved. So that was like a really big study. And then in 2015, they tested the TTNS in chronic spinal cord injury. They tested 100 patients and they compared it in a randomized control trial to solifenacin, which is actually a pretty fancy overactive bladder medication. Uh, and they found that head to head, their efficacy was the same, but the TTNS group didn't have the adverse side effects that the solifenacin group did. So it's been around and it's just kind of keeping up with the literature and seeing where um, people have studied this in other populations and can we bring it over to spinal cord injury. Why do you think TTNS would be important to use it? in this population? You've talked about it a little bit of what you're seeing clinically, but using this modality, why do you think it would be so important? So the most important thing I thought would be to provide a treatment that had a low side effect profile. For our current management with overactive bladder meds, we're prescribing these lifelong for our patients and they do have side effects that patients don't like, like dry mouth, sedation, and constipation. Those are the big ones. Um, we're often having to prescribe these in higher doses than in non-neurogenic bladder populations. And this leads to a lot of non-compliance because if you have a very dry mouth or bad constipation, some of our, our patients are staying up to date in the medical literature and have seen that there are even some associations in the elderly populations of overactive bladder meds and dementia. 
So it is, a, it is a real concern for our patients, so there needs to be a better treatment. The other part of it, it should be tolerable, right? Whatever we're trying to do, it should be something that patients can do. It should be relatively easy to use, and it should be accessible. So the other problem in spinal cord injury and in many populations with disabilities that access to healthcare is very challenging. And it could be, not only could it be cost prohibitive, but literally accessing the space where healthcare can be difficult, if not impossible. So I wanted to make sure that whatever we kind of try to help with this problem could be used at home independent of a clinic. So no need for a health professional to administer it or a clinic to provide it. So self-administration was important. And that's where TTNS hits all the check marks. Yeah, I think that's great. And, and you're right, really needed in this population as well. So let's dive into your methodology a bit. You chose those that are within six weeks of injury, which that's pretty early. <laughs> Is there a reason you chose this population instead of those considered chronic spinal cord injury? Yeah, um, we chose, well, first of all, trying to recruit patients who have just been injured within six weeks of injury for a problem that they don't even have yet, right? Meaning they're not leaking at this point, their urine. Their, their urine in the very beginning stages of spinal cord injury is being managed with a catheter. So it's very hard when their world has been turned upside down to try to convince people that this is a problem that they're, you know, 95% of people are gonna have this problem and it's gonna be a very important issue that you want to manage. So it's almost like, trust me, you're gonna wish you had done this trial, especially obviously if it works. Um, so it is a challenging population to recruit. But importantly, the thought is that if we can provide the, the treatment early before the symptoms, what we could actually see, the incontinence, occur, then perhaps we can, you know, modulate, right? That's neuromodulation. So perhaps we can make a long-term effect and the overactive bladder symptoms, the detrusor overactivity and the dyssynergia, all that stuff could be at bay and prevent the serious morbidity we see down the line. So that's why we really wanted to target people who were recently injured. Okay, to talk a little bit more about this population, you have an inclusion criteria of T9 or above and that they had to have an age level of A, B, C, and D. So what spinal cord injury population do you think would not be a good candidate for this treatment? I think all patients with an overactive neurogenic bladder would benefit from the, this treatment. And unfortunately, the Asia grading, the A, B, C, D, doesn't help us at all describe the bladder function. So basically any Asia letter A, B, C, D could benefit from this treatment. I think more importantly is the neurologic level, the, the C, T, L, S, those levels that correlate to the, to the, to the spinal levels, that, that's going to actually be more important to who benefits. 
because what we're trying to do is help folks who have the overactive bladder type, which we, we call that an upper motor neuron type of bladder. And so to make sure that you have this upper motor neuron type of bladder, it would have to be at T9 or above. So T9, T8, all the way up to the C levels and all of the C levels could be included. Once you start going lower, you could be hitting the nerves or the parts of the spinal cord that actually innervate the bladder. And that could make it a lower motor neuron type bladder. It's, it doesn't mean that they're definitely lower motor neuron if they're T10, T11 or, or below. But the only way to truly tell is through a urodynamic study. And as far as a pilot trial, that was a little bit too complicated. So we just hedged our bets that T9 and above would be certainly upper motor neuron types of bladders. Which that's a huge group. So I'm glad that, you know, you're only limited by T9 or above and not necessarily the Asia level. So next you randomized into a treatment or a sham group is what you called it. Can you describe how a sham is actually possible with stimulation? Yes. So with the spinal cord injury, you often have loss of sensation or the sensation isn't very accurate. And so we actually can get away with providing sham electric stimulation because the sensation isn't very good in the lower extremities. So I think first we need to know how we're actually doing the, the actual TTNS. It's by uh, electro dummy ankle. We increase the current where it's strong enough to give a motor response. And it's usually like the toes wiggling. And once we get that motor response, we've identified the nerve. So we know that our electricity is going to the nerve and that's the nerve that we want. And at that point, we can then lower the current to what, where we want it to be, which is sensory stimulation. And in our sham group, we would do the same thing where we would get the toes to wiggle and then we would lower it all the way down to off. And the electric stimulation device would be covered so the patients couldn't tell if it was on or not at that point. I think what's so great about this treatment is really how easy it is for the patient to do, right? But something I know that people have brought up to me when I talk to them about the TTNS is why do you place these electrodes on the ankle and not, say, directly on the stomach or near the bladder? So can you tell us why that occurs? Yeah, it's not like the tibial nerve is actually going anywhere close to the organ that is the bladder. We're not actually looking to do anything to the bladder. What we're trying to do is prevent the reflexive contraction of the bladder. So with the spinal cord injury neurogenic bladder, sensory from the bladder, right, whether it's a lot of caffeine, a lot of fluid, just your bladder stretching, could be a sneeze or a cough. It could be bending at the waist. Whatever sensation that bladder is getting, it could be considered a noxious stimulation. And that signal goes to the spinal cord and it causes a reflex contraction of the bladder. So 
in our minds, the bladder is fine. It's just these sensations that are coming and going from the bladder that we need to kind of work with. And the tibial nerve enters the spinal cord right around the same level as those sensory fibers. And what we think is happening is that we're blocking the reflex motor contraction of the bladder with the tibial nerve stimulation. So it's kind of nice that we don't have to go anywhere near the bladder because in my mind, we're able to preserve a lot of modesty by doing it at the ankle. So many of our patients, because of their hand function or lack thereof, require assistance to have this device placed. And, you know, if it's, if it's around the genitals, I think it's a lot less modest than doing it at the ankle. So I'm pretty happy that this is a good target. Yeah, I agree. It definitely is a much more modest location than other studies I've seen. So one of the strongest things about this study is your outcome measures for bladder function evaluation. Can you describe those outcomes for our listeners that may not be as familiar? So we are using neurodynamics, and that is the gold standard test to describe the function of the bladder. Basically, for this study and for many of our clinical uses of neurodynamics, we're looking at the storage of the bladder. So we insert a catheter in a, in a procedure room, and it's a specialized catheter. We insert it through the urethra into the bladder. It has a pressure sensor, and we turn the machine on, and we're able to fill the bladder with saline, and we actually get to see what's happening as the bladder fills. So we see its activity, and patients can report sensation, and importantly, we can look at the pressure because that pressure in the bladder, if it reaches a certain threshold, puts your kidneys at risk for permanent kidney damage. So this is why all of our patients at some point get a urodynamic study. And, you know, for better or for worse, it is the gold standard. And, and that's why we chose to use this test. Yeah, I think it's really important as of right now, you know, this is the gold standard. It should be used, especially if you're doing a bladder function study. Next, used other outcomes. So what, what are these other outcomes that you think were crucial in determining safety and feasibility in this study? Well, we were lucky to conduct this study in our inpatient facility. As part of our usual care, there is a variety of safety outcomes that are gathered. So that actually did a lot of the work for me. So any kind of safety for any hospitalization you could think of, we looked at and compared it across the groups. But specifically, we were interested in things like occurrence of urinary tract infections or UTIs. But we wanted to make sure that this, for whatever reason, wouldn't cause more UTIs. Blood clots or deep venous thromboses, they are something that we worry about in spinal cord injuries, especially in the early in the early phase. And so since we were stimulating the leg, and the leg is where they often occur, we wanted to make sure that for whatever reason that we may or may not be aware of, uh, it may be causing more clots. And, um, and so we had access to all that data. And then, then finally, 
all of the transfers to the acute care hospital. So if, if a patient is in rehab and then something bad is going on where it's beyond our help and we have to send a patient out so they can go to the ICU uh, or get surgery, whatever the case may be, that as well was tracked and we were able to collect that data. And then more specifically for electric stimulation, it's always a risk of skin irritation when you put those sticky electrodes on your skin. So that's something that we looked at. And then pain scores. We didn't know if this would be something that would hurt our patients for whatever reason, even though we were using very low current. So we tracked their pain scores. And then finally, I guess big picture, we wanted to make sure that they were going to function as well as the controls. So as part of re rehabilitation measures, we look at your functional assessments at admission to rehab and compare them to your discharge admissions and everybody does better. They're more functional upon discharge from rehab. And so we wanted to see if there was less benefit, less functional recovery for whatever reason by using TTNS. So we, we looked at all of those. Then as far as the feasibility portion, well, that was just simply whether or not patients can, were okay to continue to use it, whether this caused any interruptions in their normal therapy schedule, and if there was any negative feedback from staff. So if nurses were like, you know, this is really getting in the way of my care of the patient, or if therapy was like, we can't keep doing this for whatever reason, you know, it's getting in the way of care. So, so that was... Those are really some of the safety and feasibility measures that we were looking at. So let's talk results. What results indicated that this treatment was effective? So first, as far as safety, all those measures that I had mentioned, there was no differences between the groups. So that was a relief. It was safe and we expected it to be safe because we use electric stimulation on our patient's legs all the time at much higher currents. So we're not surprised that it's totally safe. Then feasibility, something that I was maybe a little bit worried about because if anyone has any experience with inpatient rehab, you know how busy your patients can be during a day of inpatient rehab. So there was some concern that maybe this was going to cause some interruptions of care, but it was 100% compliance for using it. And there was no um, negative feedback from staff. Then, you know, as far as our evidence for effectiveness, which again was based largely on our Eurodynamics at baseline and then after the trial, we saw stuff that, you know, not everybody gets to see because Eurodynamics are not part of usual care during inpatient rehab, especially in the early period. We saw even within that short time frame of a two-week trial that everyone's bladders got worse over just the two weeks that we had them. And, you know, clinically, you're not seeing this bladder get worse. So I think that was really important to kind of make note of that while we have them in rehab, their bladders are getting worse. And you just can't see it because it's not they're not clinically symptomatic yet. Now, as far as the TTNS effectiveness, 
The TTS group's bladders also got worse. For example, bladder capacity. So everyone's bladder capacity got a little bit worse, but the control group's bladder capacity got much more worse compared to the TTNS group. And then a marker of overactivity and dyssynergia got worse in the control group, significantly worse compared to the TTNS group. So again, everybody's bladder got worse, but the rate at which it got worse was more in the control group. So and just something to think about, which, which speaks to our theoretical mechanism of action, was that the sensation value. So when patients are filling their bladder, they might have a sensation and there's normals that, that are known for when you first have sensation and when you first have a desire to avoid and when you first have urgency. So in the control group, their sensation, their time to that first sensation shortened. So it does kind of fit with what we think is causing all the problems in the bladder, meaning they're, they're getting these impulses of sensation earlier and probably more frequently. And this is causing a reflexive muscle contraction. In the TPNS group, the time to sensation had actually lengthened. So we're able to kind of keep it at bay, probably closer to normal sensation. Uh, and I thought that was a really interesting take-home point that fits with our proposed mechanism. Yeah, that's really interesting. So what do you, what do you think is the biggest takeaway from this study? Well, the biggest takeaway is that we can be doing stuff for our patients during inpatient rehab. And something like electric stimulation like TTNS is safe and feasible. So there's, you know, there's definitely more and more and more that we can be doing to help our patients. So safety and feasibility of TTNS, I think was a number one take home. The second one was really kind of shocking that their bladders were worsening based on neurodynamics after just two weeks while they're with us in inpatient rehab. So I, you know, we all appreciate that they get worse over time. That's not news, but it's, it's really happening right there before our eyes. And it's easily seen based on neurodynamic done two weeks apart. And then finally, the, the last take home, I would say, is just that there is strong evidence of TTNS improving neurodynamic parameters during acute inpatient rehab. So now that you've determined that this treatment is safe and feasible in this pilot trial, what's your next step? The next step now is, is effectiveness, right? We, we did a two-week trial in a, a inpatient rehab. It's not really fair to look at it as effective with such a short trial. So the next step is larger trials. So we are, we're currently funded and we are recruiting for a very large randomized control trial at two sites, at Tier Memorial Hermann and at MedStar NRH, where we're recruiting folks when they're recently injured and starting TTNS, using it throughout their rehab admission, and then sending them home with the device and following them 
till their one year injury anniversary with a whole bunch of outcome measures, including a total of three euro dynamic measures, monthly surveys that give us an idea more of their subjective neurogenic bladder quality of life measures, and even things like satisfaction using the device. Yeah, we're doing a whole bunch of outcome measures. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Stampus. I know our listeners learned an incredible amount regarding this easy-to-use, accessible technology being used in this innovative new way. I know I can't wait to see what the future holds for this intervention for improving the lives of those with spinal cord injury and neurogenic bladder. Any last remarks? I'm very excited to see how this turns out. I suspect that it will work. The question is, or or the challenge is always going to be compliance and doing it properly. But if folks can do it properly and are compliant with it, I feel like they could avoid the medications that they often need and don't want. I agree. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a great day. Bladder Buzz is presented by the Rehabilitation Research and Training Center on Neurogenic Lower Urinary Tract Dysfunction. The information presented in this podcast does not express the views of the individual's employer or affiliated institutions. The content is for informational and reference purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, or as the sole source of guidance for decision-making. We advise you to always consult with a physician before making any healthcare decisions or for guidance about a specific medical condition. Thanks for listening. Come back soon.